four turtles. Four brothers. Genetically reborn in the sewers of New York. Named after the great Renaissance masters. And trained as ninjas. Welcome to Now Playing's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Retrospective Series. Major League Butt Kicking is back in town. Starring our podcast hosts on the half shell, Jacob. He's low in it, scum. He gives scum a bad name. Of course he does. That's why I hired him. Arnie. A nine-year-old trapped in a man's body. And Stuart. I'm being punished, aren't I? Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles review. This is time for a little uh, cultural exchange, if you know what I mean. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Righteous! Bossa Nova! Chevy Nova? Listener discretion is advised. It is time to seek our answers. And remember, go ninja, go ninja, go! Today we're discussing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, starring Elias Coteus, Paige Turco, Mark Casso, David Frazier, Matt Hill, and returning to the role, Corey Feldman, directed by Stuart Gillard. No relation. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, but you can call me Podcast Boy. Oh, 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 oh. Excellent, Stuart in L.A. And this is Jacob, your host in a half shell. Well, here we are, guys. The movies that killed the franchise. I don't know why. These things couldn't have cost that much. But (laughs) the last one didn't kill the franchise because I never saw this one. I know that the first one was a blockbuster, over a hundred million, and then the second one did about half that. And this one, I don't know. It looks like they spent money. Did they actually go to Japan? Or just a Canadian backdrop with <laughs> some Japanese huts. It looked like North Carolina to me, but. <laughs> <laughs> you never can tell, but, you know, always be suspicious about the one that kills the franchise cold. Robocop 3, anyone? You know, it usually is a very bad sign when the third one is the last one they made. True, but when it comes to movies such as this, you can't always put the death of a franchise on that last film. Now, admittedly, 1993 was a long time in my life away from 1990. I'd gone from being very underage and watching Mutant Ninja Turtles to being a college sophomore and completely out of touch with that entire aspect of society. But judging by my nephews who inherited my old Mutant Ninja Turtle toys, and they still would have been of toy-playing age at this point, The Turtles were out and Pokemon was in. They were way into the Pokemon cards and that kind of thing. And honestly, video games. So I think that just 
Turtles in general were on the way out. This year, there's a movie studio that sees profit to be made based off the last two, but I wonder if it's just the time was wrong, because this movie may have killed the movie franchise, but not much more than a year after this, the long-running cartoon was also ended, and... Turtles kind of went into a hibernation for a period. They kept trying to bring them back. We'll talk about it a little later. But I just think, at this point, people were sick of the shell. Yeah, it was a fad. I, I hear you. Yeah, children's properties, they come and go. For this thing to last as long as, I mean, three decades now, more or less on some form of medium, it's a pretty amazing thing. But yeah, you're right, Arnie. I'm trying to think. My little brothers, they were into Pokemon and Game Boy at the time. They they weren't playing with Turtles, and I sure was, and I was listening to punk rock records at this point. Yeah, even if you loved the first one, three years later, you might have outgrown it. That is the trouble with shooting for a kid audience is that kids can be very fickle, and what's cool one year is totally unhip another. All I know is Turtles in Time, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, whatever you want to call it, was not a hit. It was the end of it all, and the cartoon was following it into the grave a couple years later. So we can't put it all on Corey Feldman coming back. <laughs> Was he out of rehab? Is that why he got to come back? Yeah, he got a little bit cleaning. He needed a job. He would go back to rehab before it was over. Oh, no <laughs> doubt about it. But he was clean enough to come back. Lots of coke on the set in Japan. Yeah. There's a lot of shuffling here. I feel like there was a lot of change up last movie. And now I see them trying to get back a few things. Casey Jones is back here. Kinda. He's in a much less violent mood. Double Casey Jones, if you want to look at it that way. But yeah, they brought back an old favorite. They brought back Feldman. And yet there was trade-offs too. They didn't get the original April. Elmo is no longer voicing Splinter. There's no Shredder. I think that's the biggest shot. He committed suicide in the last film. Oh, come on. He got garbage <laughs> compacted in the first one. That's, that character can come back forever. It doesn't matter what they do to him. At the end, there's always a comeback for your main villain. Well, it, this is the same April from Part 2, I'd just like to point out. April from Part 1 had felt her scenes were cut, and how dare they? But this is Paige Turco, who did it in Part 2. She's unrecognizable here as a brunette, but... Yeah, with her hair chopped off. Yeah, but that is the same actress. Casey Jones, I'm happy to see him back. He was one of the reasons I liked the first one when it came out, so I'm happy to see him back. Feldman's the reason I saw the first one. Happy to see him back. <laughs> And having watched some of the cartoons, the Turtles had a lot of enemies. And in fact, the Turtles had a history of traveling through time. They traveled through time a lot in the video games, the second arcade game, the Nintendo game. They were constantly traveling through time. One of the first stories in the comics, I mean, I, they weren't traveling in time, but traveling to enter different dimensions and all that. Yeah, that was a common thing for the Turtles. So I'm fine with that. But you know what the biggest loss is? In my mind, and it's apparent from, like, the first frame of Turtles in this movie, they lost the Henson Creature Shop, and it shows. <laughs> they do look different, don't they? And it's yeah. not just because they kept the lighting scheme of the last movie. There's bright lights. They're not going back to that Batman darkness. Hell, even Batman wasn't dark at this point. But, yeah, you're right. This is not the work of Jim Henson we're seeing. I mean, I complained a little bit in that very first movie saying that the darkness was good because I didn't want to see the zipper. Here, you can very clearly see the neck ring where the latex comes down. I will give them this. I mean, the movie opening credits have the ninjas doing a 
ninja fight slash dance routine, which is what I did all the time with you, Stuart, when we were teenagers, right? <laughs> there were some nights. So I can't deny it. <laughs> <laughs> but they can move in these suits. I'll give them that. But they just look so rubbery. And the mouth movements that I praised in one four years ago, they didn't make all that much money on two. I think they cut the suit budget on three. You know, we'll get more into it. I, the lighting doesn't bug me as much here. Where I could tell they don't have the same puppets or Muppets. I, I'm not sure. If Henson works on it, or does it have to be a Muppet? Anyway, is with Splinter. Like, this is full-on Chuck E. Cheeseman. There's nothing from the waist down on this <laughs> Like, this is someone in a suit standing behind a window the whole time. It's a puppet. I mean, I said Splinter's been feeling like animatronic Chuck E. Cheese on welfare since the first one. But now that he's behind the window, it just, it, it, I mean, he, it's almost <laughs> as realistic as Zoltan from Big. But no, I can tell something's very different here. I'm not going to judge the movie just by its puppetry. But part of the reason I gave Turtles a green arrow in the first one was I was really impressed with what they did with those suits. And here, it's just a big step backwards. As is, God help me, Bringing Corey Feldman back, because we have the same complaint in this one that I had in the first one. Michelangelo's voice and Donatello's voice when voiced by Corey Feldman. Really hard to tell them apart. Does he do both voices here? No. Okay. But you'd think it, because they're really both that raspy kind of nasal voice. No offense to any of the Truth Movement fans. And... (laughs) Sorry, Corey, if you're listening, but I've seen you play a lot of characters. Werewolf Hunter, Vampire Hunter, Goonie, but Bookworm? I just don't see it. Well, I can finally tell the turtles apart. I'm I'm so relieved that now I can literally just look at the sash and know who's who. It's not going to be a problem anymore. I am just wondering what can be done with the concept. You know, time travel, it was kind of a big thing. You know, coming off the heels of Back to the Future 2 and 3, Terminator 2 was a big hit in 91, which was the same year that Turtles 2 came out. Yeah, let's see if they can go for that kind of sophistication. I think the aim is to have a story that is interwoven and is complicated that can play for maybe the adult audience that has to take their kids to see Turtles 3. Now, I do have to ask, Stuart, your kids have been visiting with us the past couple of podcasts. Are are they still here, or did you drop them off at Chuck E. Cheese and never return? Uh, My 12-year-old is no longer interested. He (laughs) is not participating anymore. So my 7-year-old and my 5-year-old watched this with me. (laughs) 12-year-old just revolted and went to play video games? Yeah, pretty much. So, Arnie, how about a plot? The movie didn't give us one, should I? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you'll find it in the flea market. (laughs) When April O'Neil, again played by Paige Turco, brings the turtles and Splinter some crap she found at a flea market, chaos ensues for some rusty lantern she grabbed, having no clue what it was, but thinking it's perfect for Master Splinter, turns out to be a magical device that transports her to Japan in 1603, or Oklahoma, because that's what the budget could do. In her place in the sewer stands an ancient Japanese warrior. The four turtles leave the warrior named Kenshin in the care of Casey Jones. Then they grab the scepter and travel back to rescue April, and they find themselves embroiled in a Japanese war between Kenshin's father, Lord Norinaga, and a neighboring village. Norinaga is considering issuing traditional Japanese warfare and buying guns from English mercenary Walker, played by Stuart Wilson. A lot of Stuarts on this one. Yeah. 
When the turtles show up, though, everyone believes them to be ancient demons due to the scroll we have to talk about that tells how a thousand years earlier, four ninja turtles defeated Norinaga's ancestors. So Norinaga, afraid of the mutants, buys guns and cannons from Walker to fight off the beasts. April, meanwhile, is tricked by one of Walker's spies named Wit, who has an uncanny resemblance to Casey Jones, and betrays the group. Many fights are had, with the Turtles helping the villagers defeat Walker and Norinaga, but in the past, Raphael and Michelangelo form connections. Raphael likes the clean water and air that the 1600s offered, and Michelangelo bonds with young Japanese boy named Yoshi. But with some convincing by April, the Turtles return back to their own time as credits roll. Now there's more to this Japanese war. I figure we're going to discuss it. I could take a wild guess about it, but I think it's better <laughs> if we just discuss it. In the end, bad guy this time is not Shredder, but rather Norinaga, who wouldn't it have been cooler if he was like Shredder's ancestor or something? If they'd implied that. Oh, I got so many complaints about yes. <laughs> Are we sure he's not? I'm not sure because he's wearing a helmet that looks very similar. I have a theory. I'll just put it out right at the front. I think that they had a more complicated story at the start of this in which we would be seeing relatives of characters we know in the present, including Casey Jones, and then decided that it was too hard to follow and that maybe they didn't have the money to do the reshoots and it became something else. But yeah, I suspect when you do a time travel story, particularly post Back to the Future, post-Terminator 2, you're going to be thinking about the repercussions of going back in time. You're going to be thinking about what you do influencing and informing what's going to happen in New York. The strange thing about this time-traveling adventure is that nothing... The fact that Elias Coteas is playing two different characters, they are two different characters that, as far as I know, have no connection between each other. So infuriated by this. I don't know why I'm getting so upset over Turtles 3, but I am. Because, yeah, I, I don't know if I need this a sophisticated time travel story. I'm willing to take it on a kid's level that, hey, you do something in the past, you meet an ancestor, and that shapes who they are in the future. I'm going to find out why Casey Jones chooses the vigilante life. Maybe that's something that was handed down from the past. I want to see Shredder, or at least his clan in the past. Maybe that sets something up. My expectation, at least, for this kid's film is just on a basic level, you're doing something very simple like that. Maybe something in the past is going to affect how pizza turns out in New York in the future. Like, something like that. None of it in this film. None of that. Not even the most basic time-telling devices. Yeah, we'll get into it. It really becomes apparent to me in the second act of the film. But for the first part, as I'm getting in oriented to feudal Japan and we're seeing the story of East meets West, I think that I'm seeing an origin story. I think this is going to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles origins. I, I think that we're going to understand something. You know, there's a scroll with turtles that look like them that are a part of this whole feudal society. There is some kind of connection to them. I, I just don't know what it is here when we get to Japan 1603, Red Sun Rising. We see four on horseback. Aren't you surprised when they're not turtles? Yeah, they set these guys up to make you think they're the turtles. They got these, like, green masks on, these big helmets that could accommodate the turtle heads, like red bandanas. Totally thinking these are the turtles riding around in ancient Japan. Oh, yeah, especially when they're in silhouette at the very beginning. You're supposed to think that. It fooled me. Yeah, I didn't know who they were chasing. It turns out it's Kinchin who is rebelling against, he's a good guy. I, it didn't play that way. I assumed he was a crook and the turtles were out to get him. But no, what he wants to do is be with his lover in the forest 
and plot against his father, who is engaging in some war we never find out about by buying English guns. Okay, I thought the war in which he was engaging was he was trying to take over the village in which Kinshin's <laughs> lover lives. Yeah, they. I I don't understand this either. At at the end, they say something like they're going to unite the two villages or the village with the lordship through their marriage. And yeah. I, I don't know if the dad didn't want that. He wanted to defeat them. I don't know. I don't understand any of this. It's like Shakespeare when they didn't even bother understanding the Shakespeare. <laughs> I want to say I do love this time period. There is a historical precedence that there was a time when Japan was closed off from the West and we did kind of get in there with our artillery. I think this is actually rich fodder. I'm excited for my seven-year-old to be learning some history here. I think that this is an excellent opportunity to keep it within a turtle's karate scenario and maybe teach kids something. I think that's important. So I'm excited at the beginning here. I really do think that Japan, 1603, I'd much rather be here than the New York sewer. I'm just a little surprised because I have trouble figuring out, like you already said, Stuart, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. You see the girl who's got the bow and arrow in the shadows. She's female. She's obviously going to be a good guy. But Kinshin, for most of the movie, I don't know if he's supposed to be good or bad. Is he the bad rebellious son who's trying to undermine his father to steal power for himself? Is he a kind of Japanese Macbeth and Norinaga is Duncan or is Norinaga a power hungry person and what we have here is Romeo and Juliet where they're in different houses but want to be together and through their union perhaps they can bring peace the big mistake they make is this is really the only time we see Kenshin in the 1600s the next time we see Kenshin he's in a sewer and the rest of the movie goes off without him Stuart, you're saying you're hoping to get a nice history lesson for your child out of this. I don't know if I'm willing to go there, but I love samurai films. I'm a big Kurosawa fan. So, yeah, I could go, yeah, give me seven samurai with, I, I guess, four samurai with turtles. Or even I'll take uh, three amigos with four turtles. You know, the, there's a village in danger. This is what I'm getting. There's a village in danger. There's a bad dude teaming up with an English guy. The turtles are going to have to save the village. That's what I think the plot's going to be. I don't know if I get a history lesson here. I don't know if I even get understand the plot where this goes. <laughs> but I, I could see starting off, yes, you're hopeful for something educational. You're not going to get it. Well, you know what? I don't need a whole lot. It, it's it's enough that April comes down to the sewer with a scepter she bought at a flea market. It has crazy rules in which you can, for two and a half days, go back in time and then you're stuck there or something. We're not going to be able to parse it out. I don't want to parse it out with you guys. It's not, It doesn't make sense. We don't have to underline that. We don't have to go in. The problem is that it doesn't make sense is that it's overly complicated. Like Donatello, he's finally a scientist in this film. He was always yes. in the cartoon. He finally has scientific knowledge. He comes up like, it will only replace you if, like, the other person holding it is the same mass as you. And I have to say, using cosine is not going to give you that information. <laughs> I, I wasn't even going that deep. I just don't understand why this is so complicated. I think this is the, seriously, the introduction of the scepter may be the record holder for the laziest screenwriting we've ever <laughs> seen on Now Playing. <laughs> I don't know about that. And you've seen four Transformers films. Yeah, we've raved to the graves. There's been plenty of baziness. We're about to get some more baziness. I, I don't know. I'm not willing to go there. It's kid logic. It's kid's logic, but she's also the worst gift giver ever. Here's some junk. 
Splinter will like it. Here's a lampshade. What is Michelangelo going to do with this lamp? Of course he's going to put it on his head. Yeah, that's the intent. He, she didn't give him a lamp. She gave him a lampshade. You're funny. No, she gave him both. No, no, he no. had a lamp and he starts doing his Elvis impression because it's a Hawaiian lamp. There is a, yeah, but he doesn't know that. He's putting on the shade at first. Oh, I, I thought it was only a, a lampshade. No. <laughs> See, she's just a shitty gift giver. She's known these guys for years. Hey, she does say what I'm thinking because right off the bat, we have Raph throwing an attitude again. We've already seen this with two films. I guess they're just going to always make this the emotional story. And she's like, oh, he's throwing a fit again. I'm like, right on, April. Time to move on from this storyline. Who can blame him when he's using the side to stop this ZZ Top ripoff? Can't stop the rock. And they start dancing to music that, I'm sorry, in 1993, no one would be playing. Arnie, is that true? All right. Here's what I will admit. (laughs) I didn't see this movie for many years after it came out, but I did race for the soundtrack. <laughs> Can't stop the rockin'? This was something you liked? Artie could not stop the rockin'. Oh, man. It was primarily for Baltimore and Tarzan Boy, which I'd never heard of in the 80s. Oh, But it okay. had just come back in a Listerine commercial. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had the cassette... For Tarzan Boy in 1985, when the song came out. Why it is here in a movie from 1993, I presume, is the same reason why we have this cheesy ZZ Top wannabe at the beginning. It's the Listerine ad, I swear to God. Listerine brought Baltimore back. They were hopping on a fad. Yeah. (laughs) They didn't have a lot of money this time, or they were spending their money in different ways. And so the soundtrack reflects that. We can't afford Vanilla Ice. Even in 1993, we can't afford (laughs) Vanilla Ice. But yeah, Raph is demonstrating that he's still got an angry streak. Donatello is going to get on the computer. I'm seeing that they're trying to write for the characters. I don't feel like they're deep, but I can see that they're different. I feel like there's more differentiation than there has been in either of the previous movies, frankly. I'll agree on the turtle level there is. April, really, when she was introduced this way, I figured she would just be out of the movie. I thought she'd have a cameo and not be part of it. Yeah, she's going on vacation. I'm like, oh, okay, they're writing her out. Yeah, have a nice trip. This is Margot Kidder and Superman 4, yeah. I knew because we talked about it last time that Casey Jones came back. I had that brief memory. I'm like, if there's going to be one human coming around, let's let's have it be Casey. So when she gets the lightning animation over her to travel back in time and she's going to be a central part of the plot, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, she goes back, and she's wearing Shogun outfits, and Kenjin is apparently the same height and weight as she is. She's a man! The turtles are amused. Same mass, yeah. Yeah, he arrives from feudal Japan. Transsexual jokes at children's entertainment. I love it! I, like you, Arnie, think that he is going to cause problems here. I I think that the reason to bring someone from feudal Japan... Someone that has a temper problem. I mean, the reason he's holding the scepter is he's gotten mad at his father, gone off into a room, and is breaking things. I presume he's going to do that to New York City. I'm going to presume that what Splinter and Casey and everyone else is going to have to be dealing with that doesn't go back in time is that this Japanese feudal samurai is going to tear the joint up. But no, actually, he just kind of sulks about. For the rest of the movie, he's trying to get back to Mitsu, and it's his honor guard that replaced the turtles in the present day who are there basically for 80s punchlines. They go out to arcades, they drink beer, they watch television. Wait, 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 wait. I'm confused. And trust me, there's a lot to be confused about, like exposition on why the Japanese know English because 
there's people from England selling guns. So even the peasants know English. I'll go with that. It's a kid's movie. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even need the explanation for a kid's film. I thought it was funny that they even provided an explanation. Here's the thing. I thought that Kinjin was trying to summon the turtles. He sees that scroll with the ancient demons. So he didn't do that on purpose. He was just mad and accidentally set off the staff. That's how I took it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a total accident. I thought that he was holding the scepter and had the same weight and mass as April. And so he flipped with her at that moment. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I took it. My issue is that when the turtles are planning on switching with the honor guard, they somehow, Kenshin knows it will be the honor guard. He thinks it's monks, but it ends up being military. Yeah. Michelangelo is the only one who cares enough to put on some sweatpants so we don't see Monk Wang. <laughs> and Splinter's like, we have no time. Yeah. I'm like, does Splinter want to see Monk Wang? <laughs> and then when the three honor guards show up, the one who replaced Michelangelo is in his sweats and topless. The other three are in some weird unitard diaper. How did I know? When I was watching this movie, I was just like, Arnie is going to have so many problems with the fact that the ninjas aren't naked. He's just going to hate it. (laughs) No, here's the thing. Like, these rules make no sense. Like, April goes back. Apparently, she had a Walkman in her pocket that traveled with her. Like, (laughs) I'm more baffled by the fact that she's playing Conga and it's 1993. It's a hip-hop remake of Conga. Thank you. Arnie would know he has the soundtrack. But yeah, the turtles take their weapons with them. I'm thinking of Terminator rules. You can't take metal objects in that. I I guess I got to throw out my Terminator rules. This is turtles rules. They're whatever convenient for the plot. Hey, it's the rules that you guys complained last time they didn't have their weapons. So this time they got their weapons. You should be happy. They're now armed. Yeah, when they're rocking out, they all display their weapons. They make that a big deal to have them dance around showing off their skills. Seriously, I think that they had a little bit of a course correction with this movie. I think with one, they went too dark, be that emotionally or actually with the brightness. Number two, they went too kitty. Here, I feel like they're going the Goldilocks thing. They're trying for just right. Not only do they have their weapons... They use them in combat with the exception of those nunchuck that just make British people quake with fear. But <laughs> yes. swords okay, nunchucks no. Exactly. It's you know those things can break a bone. <laughs> but yes. I was happy with how they were using them in the fight. I mean, right away when they get into Japan there's fighting going on and when Leo is doing two-handed sword fights I'm like this makes sense because it's kitty sword fight. I mean, I used to have sword fights with plastic swords as a kid. You're just banging your swords together. You're not actually hitting each other. And the bow staff, Donatello with the bow staff, he really kicks some ass. Yeah, the fighting, I think, is better in this one, especially from that last film. Again, the lighting here, that last film seems so neon and glaring. I, I don't know. I didn't like the lighting. I, I understand, Stuart, it was brighter. I just didn't like how it looked here i guess maybe because it's more natural light they're outside in oklahoma slash okinawa (laughs) and even the suits yeah the suits look cheaper but they look fine in this light it's not it doesn't bother me as much as it did in the last film it's as good as it needs to be and it looks better than what robocop did in robocop 3 i mean given the diminishing returns of we're knocking out a cheap sequel because we don't think there's much money left in this franchise I think that this is completely acceptable for what we had. The fighting is good enough. The jokes are on par with anything they've told before. The scenario is at least fresh. I'm going with it. 
I agree. I think that the time travel has added a new breath of fresh air to the Turtle franchise here. If we had been in New York against Shredder a third time, I wouldn't be game. But at this point, I'm game for what this is going to have to offer me. Here's the thing, though. Is it the time travel or is it the change of location? If they would have gone to Nebraska or L.A., like, I don't feel the time travel. Like, that's what's so disappointing about this film is how little that actual time travel plays in the plot, in the storytelling. It's, yes, they're in somewhere different. I like this setting. You could do more expansive fights with Horrors of Samurai. I like that. My biggest disappointment is that time travel has nothing to do with this story. I feel like they could have gone just about anywhere. Yeah, they could have just gone to Japan, modern-day Japan, and had this story. It didn't necessarily have to be feudal. I mean, hell, Wolverine did it. How, what, what age was that when he was in that last Hugh Jackman one? I think that it helps, though, to go back to an age where samurai – I mean, I realize a samurai is not a ninja. <laughs> but I don't know that most children do. And I think to go back there, it's obviously very tempting – with Asian martial arts characters. Again, they've done it so often with the Turtles in general. But then it becomes kind of a confusion as to what is supposed to be happening. I think that the plot is about finding April and getting back home. And so all they need to do is bust into the dungeon, which they do pretty quickly, and then find the scepter, which they would do if it hadn't gone missing. Michelangelo is the only one that doesn't fall off his horse, and he is abducted by Mitsu in the forest and drops his scepter, and so we spend a large part of the time for the first half of this movie deciding how they're going to get back if they can't find that scepter. To which I say they can't, right? I mean, they even go down this path of, let's just make another scepter. Not just any scepter will do, right? I mean, they never explain time travel, but I take it as, like, the scepter's magic and unique. Mm. That's what you would assume, but Donatello just traces it. Like, that's his schematics. He's the brilliant genius, and he just, like, traces that hourglass that spins around. I guess you put an hourglass into any staff, you could time travel someone the same weight as you holds it. Are they trying to do Terminator? I thought that's what they were trying to do, that he actually ends up creating the thing by going back in time to do it. That, in fact, it would not exist. No! It's one of those flip things. How the hell did it exist to begin with? It was already there before he got there. Well, I guess that's sort of the head warp of it all, is that it shouldn't have, but it it, it was. The one he makes gets destroyed. I'm not saying they successfully did that. I think that there was a version of the script in which they went along with that idea. I also thought that they might play with the idea that they'll flip scepters. At one point, the Casey Jones of the feudal Japan, Mr. Witch, is going to hijack that scepter. He's like, give it to me. I thought they'd give him the dummy one. I thought they'd give him the Donatello one that doesn't work. Why would they give him the functional one? You're saying there's another version of the script I think you're rewriting in your head, which I don't blame you. <laughs> this story needs a lot of work. I don't get this. That would make sense that you have this other scepter. Maybe that's the one how the turtles, they took a detour a thousand years ago and ended up on that scroll. This Casey Jones wit, I don't understand him. He's like at the beginning and he's begging April to free him from that prison. She frees him and then he ends up being a bad guy for the rest of the film. There's no way he's a spy for Walker. Walker is the bad guy. You keep putting it on the Japanese dad, but I see it very much as the Englishman with the guns is the one that's causing all the problems because he's, yeah, he's a an arms dealer. And so here's a society that doesn't know how to handle guns. They're buying guns. And what we're led to believe by the end of this is that Walker is putting wit in the dungeon downstairs 
so that he can follow April through her escape because he knows that she's going to have time traveling turtles come rescue her. I mean, come on. Yeah, <laughs> you're, th- you're giving this way too much credit. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm trying to find any logic. There's no reason why he would play in a spy. There is no logic. Yeah, there is no reason why he'd play in a spy. And that is the problem is that I think that they rewrote that character. I think originally he was not a spy. At the end, they say he's like, you know, they tell Wit to kill the turtles. And he's like, that wasn't in my contract. Like, that's what's he had a contract to spy and betray him or something, but not to kill him. Like, that's where he draws the line in his contractual agreements. Like, I don't understand this. You're saying there's another version of this? Maybe, but none of this makes sense. Maybe there's another version. Maybe. I mean, this came out two years after the last one. Maybe they started filming without a completed script, which is also the case with a lot of these kind of action films that end up making no damn sense. For example, why does Wit look like Casey Jones? He doesn't have a hockey stick. He doesn't have the same kind of attitude. I thought they may have something where, like, Wit sparks April's romance with Casey again. I mean, the last time we saw Casey, he was kissing April, but here it doesn't seem like they're a couple. After all, they didn't see each other last film. (laughs) Yeah, he's never kissed this particular Turco April, but, uh, yeah, I get what you're going at, is that he could be some kind of relative of Casey, or, or just maybe someone that reminds her of what she loved about Casey. Anything. I think there were grander designs. Something was headed in that direction, and it was stopped. Yeah, it's not just that Wit looks like Casey, it's the same actor. It is the same dude that plays Casey Jones. That You make that some kind of familial link that this is an ancient ancestor. I want to see him put on like a bamboo hockey mask or something like that. <laughs> this is basic kid storytelling and they don't do it. Yeah, she should have come back in time with a hockey stick and taught him how to use it. And we would understand that he passed it down to his great-great-grandkid, who's Casey. Yeah, stuff like that. I think that there are drafts and versions and concepts that they thought they were going to, and that they either got cut out or not filmed because, well, I don't know. I presume that they found that what they were best at is telling a very simplistic story. And that to make something overly complicated, to make a Terminator or a Back to the Future kind of storyline, is to go over the primary audience's head. Well, I think they got overly complicated with this whole feudal Japan war situation, though. Because, like you say, you're saying the bad guy is Walker. There's no doubt he's a bad guy. But Norinaga is also a bad guy who is supposed to be an equal, but Walker becomes a little bit more evil. Maybe it's easier because he's British. But... There's a lot of bad guys going on. Even the villagers aren't entirely good because the villagers have stolen the scepter because they just want to trick the turtles into fighting their war for them. Everybody here is a jerk. If I was the turtles, I mean, the turtles are like, I love it here. I'd be like, I want the f***ing out. This is making New York look trustworthy. Oh, I disagree. I think that it's fun to be back here. No, no, I'm not saying it's not fun. I'm saying every single person the turtles meet are betraying them. Yeah, but the water is clean and Mitsu is cute. And keep in mind, they live in a sewer full of toxic waste. This would be an improvement. Hell, they don't have Splinter telling them what to do. I think he's kind of a drag. I get it. I think that it's done actually kind of subtly. I don't know until the end that some of them are planning to mutiny and stay behind. I had no idea that that was coming. I had no idea that Mikey really thought he had a chance with Mitsu, but that is what they're getting at. The middle part of this movie is that the Turtles realize how sucky New York is in the early 90s before Giuliani. 
Yeah, this is what I don't get. The turtles, we get this scene out by a little pond, and the turtles are like, oh, look how clean it is, and at least one of them does. Raphael, I mean, he's the angsty one. Who knew it was because of environmental reasons? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, these liberals and their climate change agenda. But he has the attitude of an angry Republican. (laughs) So we start to get this conflict, but then it seems like the rest of the story is like, oh, we just want to go back to New York and we just need to get April and go back and get the staff. But then at the end, they're going to switch that and go, no, maybe we really do want to stay. Like, it goes all over the place. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe there wasn't even a script for this. Maybe it was all in the director's head. No, no. I think that there is a concept here for a fourth film, is what I honestly believe, is that we were going to get a Evil Dead 2 ending in which instead of going back to New York... They wound up going further back in Japan when they thought that they were going to make four Turtles movies. And then writing came clear and they said, that's not happening. Get them back to New York. That's a direct order. And so, yeah, we don't have that. But it's very clear to me that, yeah, they are working towards sending those Turtles further back in time. If they, at some point, appeared to Norinaga's family in Ancient Scroll, there's more story to tell here that they just didn't tell. I agree. For whatever the original ending planned was, they intended for those turtles to go back a thousand years and fight Norinaga's ancestors, probably as part four. I can't even imagine that as an aborted part of part three. But that's the only reason to have that scroll, period. And so they just never got there. And it's a reason to have that dissension about we don't want to go back to New York. That's something you could work on for part four. You could change their attitude. I mean, that's common in time travel stories. There's always the character that's like, oh, this age is so much better than the other one. And then they learn a lesson and realize what they've missed about home and are happy to go back. That should be a part of this story. I think that the arc is good, but it's incomplete. And I think it's incomplete because this was an aborted two-part sequel. Yeah, I I think there is hints that the Turtles, well, they say it at the end. They don't want to go back because they like the clean environment. What I don't get is why they decide to ever help these villagers. Do they ever decide to help the villagers? Like, I get that they're not as super bad as Norinaga and Walker, and so they kind of team up with them. But I never get that. Again, basic children's comedy, Three Amigos. Like, I understand as a kid when I watched that why the Three Amigos, these show businessmen, decide to become brave and protect the village. I don't even get that here. Like... I don't feel like the turtles really care about this village that's going to get stormed through when the guns show up. No, they're in the village because Donatello has commissioned a blacksmith to create a replica. They are not there because they want to be the bodyguards for the invading troops. That's going to come through, I guess, their interactions with Mitsu and with the little Yoshi character. But no, I agree with you. It's not written where they're initially taking up the cause. In fact, keep in mind, the conflict is they have two and a half days. They need to leave that night. The battle is happening tomorrow. So they're not making time for this battle. They're not preoccupied with what's going on. They're just trying to find the scepter. And Mitsu is keeping them hostage, in a sense, or grandfather, or whoever. Someone has the scepter underneath the floor and is holding them hostage, hoping that they'll stay and fight their fight. At some point, the heroes decide they sacrifice their self-interest. Sure, you get April, you get her to switch with Kenshin, he joins the battle, but you sacrifice your own well-being, and you could come up with some gobbledygook later how they could get back to their time, even though they broke the rules. Movies do that all the time. I just feel like, in England, these are the teenage mutant hero turtles. They're not heroes here. I don't know what their motivation is. They know this town is having an army with dudes full of guns show up on it the next morning. They're like, sorry, we gotta get back. 
Well, I think they're heroic enough. I mean, when Yoshi is trapped in a building, yeah. the turtles go to save him. I mean, that is a heroic act. They're not going to get involved in a war, but they will protect an innocent. Yeah, I agree with that. The reason why they care is because of the child, and the child is the primary audience. I like this storyline, actually. It's, you know, it's a little contrived, but Raphael has a temper tantrum problem, and he sees a child in the village who also has that same problem. He's able to see himself in little Yoshi and teaches him to fly a kite and bonds. They're, they're hugging. In fact, it's out of this relationship that the child digs up the scepter to begin with and shows how dishonest this village has been about how hard they've been working to get them back to their own time. I think that, yeah, that's how they look heroic, is they look good whenever they're dealing with the children. All of this stuff with Mitsu is what kind of throws me. Mikey having a crush on Mitsu and hoping to move in on Kenshin's territory is just flat out weird. Well, come on, there's a scene earlier on where, like, April tears her skirt, and it's like a mini skirt, and they're like, Rama schwing. Yeah, do they know what schwing means? <laughs> they got a turtle boner. Yeah. They know the kids have seen Wayne's World. Yeah, yes. it came out last year, and they're taking a catchphrase, but no, they don't know it means erection. But yeah, there's a lot of that Planet of the Apes kind of bestiality going on here. Yeah, the, the whole relationship that Mikey has with Mitsu, I'm like, really? He thinks he has a chance? Like, ha have the turtles, have they banged April? Have they scored with human women where he would think he has a chance? I think he's just ready to come out of his shell. <laughs> they are teenagers. They're extremely horny. <laughs> yeah, they are. And, and that makes sense. Teenage horny mutant turtles. <laughs> but maybe not in the context of this movie. I think this movie is best when it's doing the jokey stuff. When they're trying to make a pizza with a you know, brick oven or what have you. I think all of this stuff is what plays the best. See, and I thought that that was going to be the paradox. Is that they would create pizza in the 1600s. But I'm like, but they're not in Italy. <laughs> that would be a somewhat amusing joke. That would seem like an obvious place to go. Let, let's just get this out of the way. Can we talk about what's going on in New York? Nothing. Nothing that helps this plot. The best scenes of this movie are in New York. They are completely irrelevant to the plot. However, the single best joke of this entire movie is when the honor guard are watching hockey. And Casey Jones is like, hey, these guys like hockey. Let's play a game. They think hockey is a fist fight. That there is the smartest joke in the whole movie. That's a pretty stale one, too. I mean, how many jokes? Yeah. I mean, that's the old one about I went to the fight and then a hockey game broke out. I mean, yeah. I... <laughs> Artie's laughing. <laughs> that's because I like hockey, so. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think, Arnie, they can make a fish-out-of-water comedy that you don't love. I'm thinking about Thor. Hell, I'm thinking about that Lou Ferrigno and Thor movie. You love it <laughs> when people come out of time and, and experience the 20th century as this magical place. It really was. Silly comedy is what it, this is. I thought that there should be a conflict too, Jacob. I thought that Kenshin or somebody should be causing a problem. I don't know if you've seen 18 again. It, it's George Burns and some other teenage guy. But like the, the teenager that switches place with George Burns, George Burns lays in a hospital for the rest of the movie. Like it sucks to be the teenager who switched minds in that film. Fun for George Burns who gets to be a teenager. But that's how I feel with this. Like this New York stuff. Yeah, there should be a conflict. There should be something going on. There should be lessons learned from ancient Japan and new New York. None of that. It's a couple of antics that plays no part in this plot. Really, I thought this would really be Splinter and Casey's time to shine. Because eventually Splinter has to come out from behind the wall, right? <laughs> Not <laughs> if he doesn't have a bottom. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he wasn't worried about it. He doesn't wear pants. Why should anyone else? But no, the fact that it becomes this, as you say, fish out of water stuff, 
it's amusing, but it's certainly not where I thought it was going. Because when Yinshin first came here, I thought the first thing he'd try to do is kill all the mutants, which would seem a honestly reasonable reaction. Yeah, I, there's ways to play it, and I think that they probably explored that, and somebody dialed it back at the last minute and said, we're making this for the same age range as we did part two. I think that there was a crisis of confidence in this material, and that the sophistication was written out, or edited out, or just not done. But there are too many signs to indicate that they weren't headed in these directions we're mentioning, that somebody said, no, we're not making a fourth film, we're not making it for teenagers, we're making this for preteens and tweens. I will tell you this, though, and I'll spill all the beans at the end of the show, but when they were making this, all the way up until the end, and for about a year after, they thought there would be a part four, and it wouldn't be time travel. Okay. So the, they had no plan for how these turtles were seen thousands of years ago. This is such a mess. I don't know. I, I could see your five-year-old liking this. I don't know. At seven, I don't know. Maybe I could just go with the fighting. It, it's Everything just seems so arbitrary in this film to me. Yeah, I could see the five-year-old going with it because when I was five and I'd watch certain movies, I would just enjoy the action, but I wouldn't really understand the plot, and I'd revisit the movies 10, 20, 30 years later. Yes, and they change so much. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, oh my god, I had no idea. And there's a lot of action going on here. This movie doesn't go 15, 20 minutes without not just a fight, but a massive brawl that involves dozens of extras. And you know what? I can go with that. I mean, I think you guys go with that when the action is more violent, when the action is more about bloodletting and maybe some better martial arts stunts or whatever. But for kids' action, I think this stuff is good, and I think it's diverting. I like the fact that it's in feudal Japan. You guys are grousing about what's really wrong with this movie, and I understand that. The plot is a mess, but I don't think that it's an unpleasant story to follow just from a child's perspective. My seven-year-old and my five-year-old are having a good time. At some point, I have to draw a line, though, for my kids. Like you, interested in your crane shots in part two. I want my kids to at least appreciate films with some kind of base storytelling. Like, like Speed Racer. <laughs> yes, I want cliche storytelling at bare minimum. This isn't even cliche. We've talked about all, like, how they avoid every cliche that you do with a time travel story. Every cliche you do with Fish Out of Water. Like, they avoid all of that in this film. You know, I gotta have some standard, even if it's for five-year-olds. What isn't a five-year-old gonna enjoy? I can't base a recommend on that. Speed Racer. 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> I want something going on more than fights. And this, because this doesn't have that basic storytelling element, I, I don't know if I want my kids to watch it. I think it has basic storytelling. It just is aggravating that these details aren't adding up to a more complicated storyline. I think that we here at Now Playing put a high premium, and deservedly so, on really tight writing. And this movie, it doesn't even approach Back to the Future 2, okay? I mean, they just, they don't know how to weave the story strands together. They know they want to. They, th they may think they have more time with the sequel, but it's it's important to do it right here. And, and they don't. So this movie is doomed to only be liked by kids. But at this point, I'm not red ar arrowing it yet. I'm looking at my five-year-old. I'm looking at my seven-year-old. And so far, they're smiling. Well, Stuart, how did your kids feel then? Were they able to follow, maybe better than I was, the storyline of Wit, the Casey Jones doppelganger? Because he's locked up in a cage with April for a long time. So, of course, as a fellow captive, you'd think he's somebody that she can relate to. They both have the same enemy, their captor. But no, he 
And I knew this because he's a white man in Japan in 1600. He works for Walker. Right. I think that's even said, right? I mean, he did something. I'm, I couldn't figure out what he had done wrong, but Walker is casting him aside. Although in truth, it's a secret agreement. He's putting him there on purpose. Now, why he would put a spy in a dungeon? So they plan for April to get out? No, yeah. There's no reason for him to put a spy in a dungeon, but that's what he did. He's lucky that something amazing came along. Yes. Yeah, I was shocked when he betrays him because I'm like, that is Casey Jones. That is the same actor. He's supposed to be the Casey Jones of 1603, make some fake hockey mask and fight along with the turtles. Like, because it's such stupid storytelling, it did catch me by surprise. There's no coming back from this either. He holds April at knife point. He's got a knife to her throat. I'm sorry, but you can't be a good guy again. That's like, no, I don't, I don't buy the change of heart. They've ruined wit for me. And I don't know why they would want me to think of him. In the same way as Casey, who I still like, even though he's kind of neutered, I don't think of him at at all as being as charismatic as Casey back in New York. No, first of all, the beard does him no good. He loses the De Niro. It's better than that Casey wig. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) That thing was worse than April O'Neil's hair. I think they just ripped the tuff off of, maybe it's the bottom of Splinter. They were just like, oh yeah, we could give him feet or we could put it on this bald actor. All right, go. But with having somebody who is the same actor playing two different things, I mean, you wouldn't want him to fill the Casey Jones role because otherwise, well, just have Casey come back in time with them. So he needs to do something different because he looks like a friendly face. We, the audience, are shocked when he puts a knife to April's throat. But then, yeah, are we supposed to root for him just because, hey, it's Casey Jones? And when, what, he uses the scepter to blackmail Walker so that he's no longer Walker's lackey but his partner. And then when Walker uses a bad turn of phrase that says you're a good employee, he gets pissed off. We're supposed to be like, yeah, wit, you do it. Or is it just supposed to be bad people doing bad things to other bad people? He doesn't kill the turtles because he says it's not in his contract. Like that is failed contract negotiations is what stops him from being a really <laughs> bad guy. All we're really to understand about wit is he wants to escape the danger of Walker. Walker's punishing him. And at first he's palling up with April, I think, because he wants to go forward in time with her. He just wants to escape to New York. He doesn't care where he goes. I think that he is going to switch with Casey in the end. I actually think that that's where they're going with the climax is that he will go forward and we'll have a new Casey that's from the 16th century and that old Casey will teach a Japanese samurai how to play hockey. I think Casey would love 1603 Japan and just fighting dudes all day. He's certainly having fun with these guys out at the bar. I still don't know, like, did they run away? Did he take them there? Because then he's like, okay, it's time to get back. We're going to be switching with the turtles soon. Like, he knows. Like, I don't understand anything in this film. (laughs) I think the two days was almost up. So it's like, oh, done party. What if the turtles, like, had found April within a couple of hours? And they're like, sorry, got to wait for them to finish their beers at the pub. I think as long as April and Kenshin are holding the scepter, they can switch at any time. But do they both have to be holding it? Because at one point, Kenshin gets all Raphael and is like, ah, screw it, I'm leaving. And Splinter from behind his box has to be like, all, don't be impatient, wait. I mean, it really looked like he was about to go by the power of Skull with the scepter and that would be what takes him back in time. Like, can he activate it? Did he do all this? I don't 
care. <laughs> <laughs> not only do I not know, I do not want to spend any time flailing over what obviously wasn't written. If the screenwriter isn't going to try, I'm not going to try. There aren't any good metaphysics to this magic scepter device. It is a terrible form of laziness. Yeah, I guess my question was really rhetorical. I was saying it to point out the script doesn't tell us crap. No, it's it's terrible. But basically, they're the only ones that want to flip. April wants to live in modern New York, and Kenshin wants to get back to Mitsu. And Donatello, he wants to get back because he's into computers, and there are going to be no computers for him. But I feel like everyone else would be cool with being in this new dimension, whether it's the Honor Guards in modern day or the Turtles in feudal Japan. I, I think that they could live that way for a while. But because April's whiny and Kenshin is manic, uh, they have to go back. <laughs> yeah, this whole the turtles want to stay, I never really bought it. It never really came off as authentic to me. I agree with you, Artie. That just, it comes out of nowhere, really. It, there was a couple of lines given to that idea earlier, but the whole time they're like trying to get April back. Like it's not a point of struggle, really. I get it. They have things like playing with the kid and that, but I never got a sense that they were going to have this whole conflict of whether they go back or not. It's a surprise, but I think it's an exciting one because it's like all of a sudden this movie's not going to follow a predictable outline. I'm going to be like, what? How? So they're not going to be, go back? Is that conceivable? Could they actually have that? Could I accept a happy ending where the turtles decide that the sewer is not for them? I mean, that would be pretty ballsy. That would be pretty amazing for them to turn their back on their whole digs in New York. They don't even have to turn their backs on New York. They could have ended the, the film with like... Hey, April, tell Splinter, dude, that we're taking an extended vacation here in ancient Japan. Cowabunga. Like, they could have just written it with a line like that. I would have bought it. I would have gone with it that, hey, they traveled around Japan. Maybe they went back a thousand years. They don't even need a whole other sequel. They don't need a major storyline. It could have been done with a single sentence. Yeah, the way it comes out here, it really makes no sense that the, the Raphael doesn't get to join them because he was hugging Yoshi. Michelangelo. No, it's Raphael. It was definitely Mikey. Mikey is the one who was behind, and then Mikey's the last one to show up because he's all sad now because he's grown up. I don't know why he's grown up. Is sadness growing up? Is that what this entire movie's moral is? Sadness is blue balls. <laughs> growing up is blue balls. No date rape, turtles. I think it's kind of important to recognize that aging is about loss and that some things that you want you don't get in life. I, I don't know. I'm kind of going with this. It's not what I would expect a climax to a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie to do. I don't expect him to be crying. I mean, Michelangelo is the good time guy. He's the one that puts on lampshades and says, party dude. I didn't know that he had an emotional center. This is a surprise. It doesn't last long because Splinter puts on the hat and it's over. <laughs> He, he makes a third funny. He doesn't say that. that I know. I was really disappointed that he didn't call out his funny. But here's the thing. Like, that first film, it was really about Raphael. Like, that second film, I don't know who that was about. I guess it was about Donnie's existential crisis because God didn't create him. Yeah, well, I'll go with that. I do feel like if you took these turtle films, even if it's about all the brothers, that if you had one had an emotional core and the story is about him, yeah, take Mikey and... You know, maybe he grows up a little. He's not too much into partying by the end. I could go with that. But here, as it's presented, it's just, again, it's a it's an idea. Someone wrote it in the margins of the script, and then they never filmed it. 
All I know is if they're go traveling around time, they they need to go back a couple years when Technotronic is relevant. <laughs> Having Y Kid K close it out here, it just feels like a time capsule already. I'm you, like, you just don't remember when this was '93. I was rocking to all those jams. And you were three years behind everyone else. Yeah, I feel like that was behind the times then. Pump Up the Jam was 1990 and only 1990. Yes. <laughs> well, I didn't hear Baltimore until 1993 either. So, <laughs> Jacob Stewart, is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 radical or repugnant? Jacob. Uh, yeah, I mean, here's the problem. This is obviously a kid's movie. That that second film was just so Power Rangers for me. This one, okay, I like the setting. The fights, I guess, are better. I don't know, but I, I hate this story. So I hate the lack of how non-cliché the story. I wanted just cliché storytelling, and this would have been passable. But I, I feel like every rational storytelling decision is squandered. Like, they do the opposite here. You, you're, Stuart, you keep saying they had some older script. I don't think they had any script. I don't know what was going on here. I want my child to learn a better standard of storytelling here. And uh, it's, again, a five-year-old's going to enjoy anything. Is that the standard for these? I'm going to have a little higher standard and give this a not recommend. Better than that second one, though. Stuart. I think each Turtle movie is for a different one of my kids. The 12-year-old liked the first one with the action. The youngest one liked the middle one. I think this one is for 7th graders that are starting to learn social studies, learning about other cultures. I think that that's what's unique and interesting about this is that they make a half-baked attempt. Within a muddled story frame, they make an earnest attempt to try and show a different culture and to show the roots of martial arts and where these turtles kind of came from. Although, they never were from Japan, right? It, it was Splinter that was from Japan. So, that's sort of revision. Uh, but, be that as it may, I'm going to listen to my seven-year-old. I'm going to give it the green arrow. I'm actually going to make the case, this is the best of the three, guys. As far as it goes, none of them have been really my cup of tea, but this came closest. I can at least sip this. In small doses, this is palatable. That This is the best of the trilogy is more of a damning of this franchise than it is a celebration of this movie. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess I would just conclude by saying, was Turtle Mania ever connected to any of these movies? I I honestly have to believe that none of these are why Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are so popular with people of my generation and younger. I have to believe it's the comic books or the cartoon or the toys or the hostess green cream pie that I had that was actually terrible and made my poop purple for a week. <laughs> it has to be the marketing. There was the video games, but yeah. I would say the first movie introduced me to the Turtles, and I got into it, and I think it could do that for others as well. Ugh, the first, if I'm ranking them, that first one is the basement bottom awful. Second one at least knew what its audience was, and this one I think is a better version of the second one. So if I gave the last one a mild recommend, I guess I gotta give it this one. Although, if you're asking me off the records with my kids not around, they all suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've delved into the Mutant Ninja Turtle forums and things, and the first one's the one that everybody holds up as the best. Ugh. Not everyone. Are you joining in on the forums? <laughs> no! <laughs> no, I'm looking to wash that off me as fast as possible. You're not Ninja Stewart 732 <laughs> I, I thought that was you. Sorry. For me, I'm just so on the borderline, because I agree with Jacob that this one had a nice look to it, and I agree with Stewart's children that there was a lot of action here that was well done. I also agree with Jacob that the story was shit. 
We all agree on that. We all agree it's a cluster. Yeah, so it's like, I don't know which way to go on this. I enjoyed the Casey Jones Ninjas in New York story. That was five minutes of 90. I didn't enjoy <laughs> any of the romance, betrayal stuff. I'm not even quite sure why Walker was there beyond selling guns, but how'd he get there? What's the long-term relationship? It's all very ill-defined. And then the mystery of the turtles a thousand years before. Do the basic base pleasures of watching turtles fight outweigh bad storytelling the inane nature of the question i just asked occurred to me as i said it so that means no it's got to be a just just a slight red arrow i gotta not recommend this one because i'm not recommending for theoretical children i'm recommending for general audiences and on that criteria i still say the first one's the only one i can really stand by but yes this thing is mountains above Part two. Part two really was turtles in the sewer kind of just floating in crap. Here, they're at least back above ground. Wait, wait, wait. So let me just hear you guys straight. You guys really hate bad storytelling, but you both recommend pretty strongly the first movie? Yeah. Yes, for the age group it's going for, it's got adequate storytelling. Yes, okay. indeed. All right. I Okay. And much better characterization than happens here, because here we're all confused. Why do they want to stay in Japan? Whereas we knew why Raphael was all angsty in part one. Oh, you and Raphael. Yeah, you guys need to <laughs> grow it up. I Okay. All right. All right. I, I give up. All right, you see a quality in part one I cannot see. It was too dark for me. I just couldn't see it, literally. <laughs> but this wasn't supposed to be the end of the Mutant Ninja Turtle franchise, and in fact, it's not. But I'm so grateful it was. It's not. It really isn't. Now, they were going to do the next movie called Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Next Mutation. And that one, the ooze was going to transform the turtles more and, like, Donatello would become psychic, and Raphael would become a fearsome creature with claws. Basically, they become X-Turtles. Oh. Yeah, the, the X-Men did form second mutations in the comics, so it looks like this came before the X-Men did that, I think. But, while they couldn't do it in theaters... Oh, no. Is, it, is this another On Ice production you gotta go watch? <laughs> as long as they didn't release it theatrically anywhere in this world, I'm fine with whatever they did. They did a live-action... TV series that was a continuation of the cinematic universe. Wow, I have no recollection of this. Was this like a Saturday morning thing or a movie of the week? It was just Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Next Mutation, came out in 97. Oh, God. Wow, that's way later. Yeah, nobody was paying attention at this point. It only lasted one season. I went and watched the first five episodes which basically form the opening movie of it shredder is back and there is a fifth turtle is it a girl it is a girl oh, of it's course venus de milo <laughs> oh yes. nice it turns out there was a fifth turtle in that jar and when gathering them up splinter just missed one and she <laughs> he was a rat to be fair you know. <laughs> she floated down to chinatown <laughs> Where she was raised by a Chinese mystic, and when he gets stuck in the dream dimension, yeah, I was getting Generation X flashbacks. <laughs> she has to join forces with the turtles, and she becomes their psychic friend. What's her band, Pink? No, it was actually really confusing, because... She didn't have, like, boobs or something to set her apart? She did not have boobs, although it was really freaking me out that 
all the turtles were really happy that there was a female turtle. Like, they knew Mackin on April was creepy. And so, that like, they were all really happy. She had a light blue bandana versus a dark blue bandana. But the weirdest thing is she's the only one who wore a bandana. In the next one, they all wore, like, pirate scarves that covered their eyes and full domes. Oh, skull cap type things. Yeah. Okay. They were modernized. If, and if I complained about some of the puppetry in this one. That one is practically Muppet, hand up the ass of the turtle type thing. <laughs> Pretty unwatchable. And in fact, Venus de Milo is such a blight on the franchise that Eastman and Laird, whichever one's still involved, is like, you must never speak of it to him if you are ever talking about <laughs> pitching any turtle stuff. And some of the later comic books have like promised on the cover, no female turtles inside. Oh, see, I'm not opposed to that. I actually think that these guys could use a little gender equality here. I think she might be there better than April. Yeah, I agree. The whole, yeah, human element is a little weird to me. I think that, yeah, a peer that was a girl, I think that could have worked. But, you know, I'm not going to watch that show to disprove you. <laughs> I believe that it's just as awful as you're describing. The show just, you know, it probably wouldn't be awful for children. It really did have a Power Rangers feel to it, to the point that they crossed over and had a Power Rangers episode with the Turtles. It just had that Megazord kind of feel, but, you know, that's probably better than a lot of the original cartoon run, as far as some people go who prefer that kind of Japanese influence. But my other understanding, although we will find out next week, is that this next Mutation TV series, while it was a continuation of the movie universe, they flush that down to the sewer... And the next movie we're watching, TMNT, stays in the same universe. It's basically the fourth film. Oh, okay. So I can't look for a better improvement of quality. It's going to still be crappy, huh? <laughs> it's all animated this time, though. Yeah, and believe it or not, I actually am hopeful that this might be the best one. I don't think the Turtles ever should have been live action, or at least not for adults. I think that I might be able to find this to be the best of the series. I mean, it, it's a low bar. They should be able to just skate right over this. Let's see if they can do it. Well, we will find out next week. And in the meantime, time is really running out. In eight days, all of our donation podcasts go in the vault. We just released Dawn of the Planet of the Apes last Friday to donors. You can hear all of our Planet of the Apes reviews and all of our Matrix reviews and more importantly, support independent podcasting support our show support Stuart's three motherless children <laughs> yeah <laughs> and support Stuart for having to sit through a July full of kids films oh my god thank god we had Dawn in there you can find out all the details by heading to nowplayingpodcast.com and clicking the banner at the top of the page but you really do only have eight days Ask any of the people who have emailed us and said, can we have aliens even though it's over? Can we have Return of the Living Dead even though it's over? Once in the vault, stays in the vault. And come August 1st, Apes and Matrix and Speed Racer and Jupiter Ascending. It's not even out yet, but it's going in the vault. So all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next week, cowabunga! We have had our first battle, Master Splinter. They were many, but we kicked. We fought well. I suggest we all meditate now. 
are the events of this evening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles retrospective series. Money cannot buy the honor you have earned tonight. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Will I ever see you guys again? Well, that depends on how fast you stock your pizza. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. It's going to be quite a party. Well, what do we do now? In the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews on series such as G.I. Joe, Transformers, Tron, Terminator, Star Trek, Spider-Man, The Avengers, and more. Okay, Turtles, let's move out. You can also find individual movie reviews such as Avatar, Fight Club, Godzilla, Pacific Rim, and more. I knew it, I'm missing all the Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. We yeah, find you. I'm sorry, that came across super creepy, okay? Support from listeners like you help keep now playing operating. I must warn you, we do not come cheap. Does it look like money is of any concern to me? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Maybe I should write this down. Now Playing's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series is edited by Heath, Phil, Casper, and Arnie. Our domain is the shadow. Pray for it reluctantly. For when you do, you must strike hard and fade away without a trace. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. You certainly can turn a phrase, my lord. Now Playing is not affiliated with Mirage Studios, Playmates Toys, New Line Cinema, Imaji Animation Studios, Warner Brothers Pictures, Nickelodeon Movies, or Platinum Dunes Entertainment. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all of the TMNT universe contains is the property of Nickelodeon, a subsidiary of Viacom, and no infringement is intended. What does all that mean in American? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual host and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Your mouth may yet bring you much trouble. Shut it. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Well, dudes, I'd say that's pretty much a wrap. Yep. Uh, Cowabunga? Hmm? Cowabunga. Yeah. Yeah. Cowabunga. Awesome. It's almost as realistic as Zoltan from Big. <laughs> and with about as much articulation. Oh, I get that. It's a, <laughs> you, you get that reference? Yeah, I finally get it. I'm just like, who? What? <laughs> it's a Zoltan. Oh, okay. I guess I'm just a big, big fan, and I got it right away. Wicked! Leonardo is... Or, I'm sorry, Donatello is... Donatello is laying on... I can't speak. We lost Jacob. He'll come back. Or maybe he's back in time. <laughs> he's got to get back in time. Hello, Jacob. Awesome!
I do have a fire alarm. I don't know if that can be heard. Yeah. Is Mikey going to come save you? I hope so. Kurt Russell, eat your heart out. Does anyone remember Backdraft? <laughs> I, that's what I wrote. First and only Backdraft joke ever. <laughs> it was two years after that movie. Must have seemed wow. like a bigger hit than it really was. <laughs> yeah. Compared to this movie, it really was. Righteous! And then all of a sudden, all of them want to stay at the end, except Donnie. Because there's no coke in ancient Japan. Feldman's got to get back to New York. I don't think he was cocaine. I think he was... Heroin, <laughs> LSD, any number. I'm sure ancient Japan yeah. had some kind I'm of... I'm sure he could get some opium. Got off of. Yes, opium. He could there get some go. opium here in Japan. He'd be all right wherever he goes. 